0: Today, I welcome Sir Anthony Seldon, head at Epsom College in the UK. In this episode, we talk about embedding and governing AI in education, the moral virtues of AI and the importance of putting structure and policy in place, how to navigate the fourth educational revolution. And I ask, is university still relevant and valued? First of all, thanks ever so much for joining me today. I know you're an extremely busy man. We first met during your time transforming Wellington College from an average British boarding school to one of the UK's most prestigious schools. You were a great believer and driver of change in everything you do. Has this approach always worked out in everything you do?
1: No, obviously not. I mean, maybe a third of things work out, but it all depends what we mean by work out, doesn't it? Sometimes some of the best things one does are the things that fail at the time or are people think at the time are too far thinking, too peculiar or not relevant. It's very hard to say what working out means, isn't it?
0: It's more the inclination that you enjoy change. A lot of it's a natural human reaction to not really enjoy change, particularly the older you get because you get stuck in your ways, but you very much embrace change. Has that always been your default?
1: I mean, look, there's a case for continuity and there's a case for change. You can't Endlessly change everything, and education in Britain hasn't embraced sufficiently what has been excellent and what tradition has shown has been enduring and it's been slow to change it's been in the grip of deeply unimaginative people and people who have no understanding of education or young people. To them, it's a process as it was for mid-Victorians when Dickens wrote Hard Times in 1854. He based his assault on what was happening in schools, on manuals about what government was saying should be happening in schools. Now, I'm not certain that we know a great deal more about education. We've learned much more in the last two thousand years, that if we go back to ideas in ancient India and China, and in the Greek and Roman worlds, we find extraordinary richness and understanding about what purpose of education is and how it can lead to a, a meaningful, fulfilling life. Education's been gripped by the ultra rationalists and those who don't want to trust teachers or young people, that there's a belief that if you do trust them, they will just let anarchy loose upon the world. And therefore, you've got to grip it tightly and prescribe very tightly what's to be taught and how it's to be taught in a way that you see in totalitarian countries, despite the purveyors of these beliefs, seeing themselves as prophets of the free market and individualism. I think that can only begin understanding education by understanding what the human being is and how education can play a role in helping that person realize their humanity and their individuality and their all-round capabilities. And the word means leading out from what's within. And that isn't what happens. It's not an offset style imposition of a fear, disrespectful regime where things have to be done precisely this way at this time. It has to be a, a more respectful process.
0: And I'm with you in terms of the human side. And I've always talked about, you know, technology is a lever. We need to put people first. And I kind of want to cover the future of education with you, because I know that you've certainly got some thoughts and you've certainly got a huge amount of experience in that. As an author, you're primarily known for your political biographies of consecutive British prime ministers from John Major all the way through to Boris Johnson. But you've written a book exploring AI as the fourth educational revolution, which I'm most keen to talk to you about. First of all, what were the first three educational revolutions?
1: Well, I mean, you can take your pick, can't you? But To me, it's the beginning of learning when the earliest human beings began to learn from each other about how to cook, how to make clothes, how to grow crops, how to look after animals, how to pass on understanding and wisdom. The second is the beginning of organized learning in schools and universities schools first, and that's associated with the settling down of nomadic tribal peoples and the settling down in communities, the beginning of cities, the beginning of farming in set areas, and the passing on of skills in organized institutions, knowledge about crops, knowledge about law, knowledge about financial systems. And so that maybe 5,000 years ago, maybe 8,000 years ago. And the third revolution is the beginning of mechanized learning, maybe 500 years ago, there with the printing press and the mass production of books and the sense that you need to have a industrialized process, factory process for the churning out of people who are then going to be productive for the economy, and productive defending the country at times of war. So uh, those are the earlier revolutions, and we're still very much living in that third revolutionary model of a factory model of education being done to young people with the passing on of a set of knowledge and requisite skills, rather than something that is more being done for young people. And the fourth education revolution is the use of technology which itself is capable of learning and is capable of overcoming the five traditional problems that I see with that factory model, which include the fact that every child of a certain age has to move forward in pretty much every subject at the same pace at the same time, when clearly one size doesn't fit all, and that The learning has to be on quite a narrow range of topics and organized in a school day when clearly some people learn better at different times. AI revolution poses the huge question about what is human intelligence? What does it mean to be human when this technology can do so many of the things that the third education model was training young people to do, to be, including even manual skills as well as cognitive skills the technology will be a thousand million times quicker 10 million times quicker quantum computing speeding the process even more and what then is left for the human beings and the third education model is teaching young people to do the precisely the things that the computers will always be able to do better and quicker that's what the book was about at the time rather like when i was talking about 20 years before that about mental health and the need to teach young people to learn how to live, to, to develop the habits and the skills of being able to manage their lives. I think the book, you know, as far as anyone even noticed it, was thought to be rather futuristic.
0: And you talk about it being futuristic. Interesting, since you wrote the book, obviously, generative AI has become mainstream and accessible. I mean, even causing Hollywood to go on strike with concerns for their jobs. What is the big deal? We've had to deal with technology for generations now. Yes, it's getting greater in terms of accessibility, in terms of its power. I think the human, you talked about mental health in there as well. They are inextricably linked. The amount of technology we have access to, the power it controls over us. What is the big deal with generative
1: AI? The big deal is that it is different. The earlier technologies were human-fed, were the servants, the new generative AI can become the masters even if the generative AI is only based on existing human knowledge. It can compute it at a rate and access it at a speed that no human mind can do. And therefore, it is able to do things that the earlier technologies in the classroom and outside were unable to do. It is able to personalize work for students, discovering their particular needs and presenting the material in an individualized, personalized way that will best suit their learning needs, that it will be able to give formative assessment in real time, that will diagnostically be able to help them learn. It is altogether a completely different. To other forms of technology. It's not ice into water into steam. It's ice into granite. It's just qualitatively different. And we have to be able to embrace it and be able to ensure that we are able to milk it and ensure that it is the servant of the most of all students and indeed adults and in particular, the most vulnerable, and that the ed tech companies who would willingly sell their souls and their grandmothers for more profit, and uh, being able to beat their competitors, that all they say about having deep human values at heart, it's all piffle. They haven't. Of course, they haven't. Why should they? They're not behaving rationally if they do, in any way other than a PR way, that real human beings have to, who understand and know about this, have to help ensure the technology is for the benefit of the many. So that's why I set up together with colleagues something called the Born Epsom Protocol, came out of a conference at Epsom where I'm currently the head in uh, May 2023, and this is a state independent cross-age grouping of professionals who themselves understand, it's not that. We think that parliament malign or government malign. It's just that parliament government won't ever move at the speed or have the involvement of teachers. This is led by the professionals. There's a heads group on it and there's a practitioners group who are full of deeply experienced teachers and school leaders who understand what's happening. And there's also another panel there that has the heads of the exam boards on it because that's clearly going to be very important. And that's chaired by Lord David Bucktonham. It's got a specialist panel of those people who are actually at the cutting edge of the science of AI, led by two people, Roger Taylor and Sherry Kutu. There's a politicians panel, cross-party, of course, uh, etc. So it's a huge struggle. And a struggle is completely the right word to ensure that these technologies, which are magnificent in potential, are there to stretch young people, to help them become deeply fascinated and curious about the whole realm of human experience in a way that those ancient systems that I talked about uh, were capable at best of doing, but which our own mechanistic, heavily cognitive-based insistence on left brain learning, which is important, clearly very important, as is part of what It means to be an educated person that other forms of learning are privileged and prioritised and in particular it's for the most vulnerable who have often been left behind by the third education revolution, not just in the United Kingdom, but in every single country.
0: I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Do you think we've just gone past the point of no return? I'm a massive avid technologist, but I also really believe that everything's done through behavior and the way that humans interact with things. The way that AI has come around, the way that we put technology into schools, I don't think any of it's really fixed anything. I think we're caught with our children being caught with 24-7 addictions to devices. They have more content that they can consume ever. It's become a this world of content chaos is overriding everyone's ability to think because we're all addicted. And do we ever think that there's going to be a time that we can really train teachers and education can shift? Surely we've got to get them the teachers involved in understanding this technology, but then themselves don't have enough time to really learn. And it's the power of the few. I mean, AI really is in the power of the few. We're just slaves now to something that's been let out of the bag.
1: Okay. So we can't put it back in the bag, but with Oppenheimer, a film I would have mentioned as a favorite film, but I haven't yet seen it. Neither indeed have I seen Barbie either. So. Two treats in store, but the film Oppenheimer is in part about the whole battle to ensure that another cat out of the bag nuclear weapons can be used for the benefit of civilization. And in nuclear energy, which of course is very controversial itself, we can see how that power of technology has been harnessed. But by the way, it's going to be a lot harder to harness AI because it's in everyone's hands. Not in the hands of the few in, in governments, but nevertheless, the same process there of how you ensure that the technology is for the benefit of the many. Now, there are a lot of people, perhaps to one Simon, who are highly sceptical about AI and say, "Look, it really made no difference at all." To which I'd say, "Well, of course it hasn't, but that's because we're still in the pre-dawn phase. It's only 4 a.m. in the morning." The sky has not even begun to start to flicker into light. For a remarkably short amount of time, AI will become something that young people are able to benefit from. Remember that it significantly bypasses teachers because it does become a teacher in a way that we might not like, but that we can't stop because people will be able to engage with this, move at their own progress particularly at STEM subjects, but not just STEM subjects. And therefore, we have to rethink the role of the teacher as the mentor, as the pastoral carer, as the guide, as the person who brings in the human dimension. And schools need to change to be thinking much more about what human intelligence is, what the multiple intelligences are, for example, that the much derided Howard Gardner has spoken about how schools can become places that develop all those intelligences. And by the way, employers, employment need the human intelligences every bit as much as the linear cognitive intelligence is championed by exam boards and by governments and uh, by Ofsted. And you, know, you can see that transition in the work of the brilliant Andrea Schleicher, who is a visionary and the OECD, who is trying to define all kinds of ways of broadening the sense of how you measure a more holistic appreciation of what education actually means. So it's coming, Simon. Luckily, everyone listening to this, if there indeed will be, that we can all be there shaping through groups like the Born Epsom Protocols, and got a website, but through other very likely better groups that you might be belonging to, that we can help shape the emerging technologies as indeed they emerge, convincing the edtech tech companies that it has to be not infantilizing young people, making their life just convenient and easy. Much of what makes life worthwhile is is struggle. Look at sport. What would sport be if it wasn't a, a struggle? Look at the things that young people say that they find most rewarding. It is overcoming difficulty that the technologies are used to help Deep learning, but breadth of learning, emotional learning, as well as um, cognitive learning, which is really important, but which will also be precisely the learning that the algorithms will always be able to do better. I mean, for goodness sake, it's nearly 30 years since an AI-facilitated machine beat the world's top chess player. I mean, that was a warning that we didn't really perhaps take seriously enough. And then it beat early this century the best player at the much more interesting and humane game of Go, which is much more based around not win-lose like chess, but win-win. And it even excelled at that because it will always be able to outsmart humans, but not in the full range of what it means to be human. So at best, this is going to enrich education, enrich teaching, enrich pastoral care, enrich the lives of being students, but only if we get ahead. So there's no bigger issue in today's world. Than AI and how we, we not ed tech companies, we not legislators, we not government, although working with all of those three, can ensure that we shape these technologies genuinely in the interests of all. How
0: do we get ahead with the unchanged teacher training? Because there's obviously a decrease in the interest of people wanting to go you know, into teaching as the old vocation where they are impacting the lives of these young people and making a difference. You kind of have to have a, it feels like a master's in technology because if you're not an expert in it and don't have a grasp of it, you can't really make sure that the kids that you're teaching or stewarding through education are going to use it effectively or appropriately. Do you feel that we do need to train teachers differently? And do you feel that Teaching as a profession is not that attractive anymore because of technology.
1: Okay. So, did you need a master's to be able to operate this Zoom technology today? Did you? Well, I have a master's in IT. So, I'm, I
0: actually don't know whether or not that actually,
1: but I get your point. Of course, you don't need to be a master. Look, you know, I'm one of the least technologically sophisticated people. I've, I mean, I love science, intrigued by it. No good at it, no good at maths, it never was, but I get what it does, and I can see how it works. Technology will become simpler and simpler to understand. Teacher training needs to be about understanding human human beings, human interactions, human empathy, human intelligence. only by doing those things that we will save education, save planet, save humanity. Now, look, I don't think a i is going to extinguish the world, although. AI weapons are pretty dangerous. The risk is much more infantilization. It just makes life incredibly easy. There's no need to do anything, so we can just sit on our backs all day watching endless quiz shows on television. And you know that's not what human life is about. And we need rigor. We need challenge. Um, But if the technology can help those people who feel alienated from the current education system because they don't have the or don't think they have the intellectual gift or maybe the peace of mind, the mental health to be able to access it, or maybe the stability at home, all those currently excluded can be included in all of this. And the bell tolling there is not tolling for the death and end of humanity, but could be a new tolling for a new wedding, a marriage of humanity with this technology that can help Uh, bring in this fourth education revolution, which will be more rewarding for more people if we get it right, but we have to get it right. And we'll get it right by concentrating not on the depersonalized, mechanized, electronized technology, but understanding what it means to be fully human.
0: Just want to wrap up about the second stage of getting through school, and that's the conveyor belt into higher education. Are universities still going to exist and do they need to exist? And are there certain subjects that they will be more relevant for? Or with technology and skill based approaches,
1: will people go off into different higher education directions? I think that the set of curriculum subjects that have evolved over the last two or three thousand years are all every bit as relevant to understand the sciences, to understand the human sciences, social sciences, humanities, to understand art, creativity, physical education, sport, to understand ourselves better, to understand philosophy. I mean, I think philosophy needs to be a more prominent part of education, but the full range of subjects as we've known today, but so clunkily taught. When we had the Times Education Commission, which I took to the paper in 2021, reported 2022, and we had a series of the country's top scientists, they said, look, it's not surprising a lot of young people feel alienated from science because it's taught so boringly. I mean, why is it? When I first was training as a teacher at King's College London, I was just mesmerized by the fact that the younger children at the school, which I was attached to, were incredibly eager to learn. But by year nine and ten, a world-weary cynicism had come in and it was much harder to engage them. I mean, it doesn't have to be like that.
0: It doesn't. And I've always talked about the super teacher, Anthony. I just feel kids need to be inspired. And we can all think of teachers who inspired us. And that's a different role. It's a bit like an Instagrammer, YouTuber. You need that. And I think technology can enable that because you've got pockets of inspiring people who can, you know, look at different subjects, topic areas and make it interesting. And then you have technology to personalize it to the individual based on what they know. And then you get your teachers that become more of a tutor approach to supporting the learning, the understanding of it to help someone get through that piece, which I think is where the teacher personally will transition to. But you need to be inspired. And there's not enough inspiring teachers. And that's maybe what we've got to start to find.
1: Is Ofsted inspiring? Are ministers of education, secretary of state, inspiring people? Would you want to be taught by them? I mean, there have been some very fine ones. They have not been there long enough. They haven't had the chance. The current system, we're training our teachers to be like machines, turning up and trotting out uh, this chunk of the curriculum on this day in this particular way to elicit these particular responses. We're training our teachers to be like machines and our young people to be like machines. Ironically, it could be the machines themselves that will help liberate the teachers to be inspiring. So many are leaving the profession, including many of those who would be most inspiring because the system is not conducive to inspiration and individuality and risk-taking, and they just feel crushed disillusioned. They come in with such high hopes. One of the exercises that I would often do with teachers, teachers of all ages, is to ask them to write on one side of a piece of paper why they came into teaching. And then on the other side, what their current experience of teaching is. And then to ask if there's a mismatch between the left and right-hand columns. And if there is, and of course, there almost always is, unless someone's in a brilliant school with a brilliant head, maybe. But even then, and if there is that mismatch, why? And then most searching question, what are they going to do about it? But quitting the profession isn't the answer. And uh, we need inspirational governors, chairs, heads, who often get squashed out. I mean, there was an incredible head of a primary school, Richard Dunn, who was following a a method called harmony, which is looking for the laws of harmony across maths and across the sciences and the arts, but got squeezed out, has been so many inspirational people. So we have to have inspiration because inspiration is human. An AI machine will never be inspiring, even in a million years' time. The essence of what it means to be human is to be inspiring and to inspire our young people to be inspiring people themselves is the highest purpose of our profession.
0: And that's why I'd always lead with, and I've always done it. I think for about a decade now, I've talked about the future of education or the future of school and it always sits with the human in the middle. It has to. You know, technology sits around, it's going to keep growing, you know, as opposed to Moore's Law, you know, exponentially. But it's how do we bring it in? How do
1: we use it effectively? Well, and the answer is that everyone listening and everyone not listening has in their own way not to shout against the system, but to work to make it happen. Teachers need to radicalise and remember what it was that brought them into teaching and rather than blaming the system or blaming the government or blaming the head blaming their pay conditions which is not to say that none of those are deserving for blame but much more noble is at the same time as doing that or maybe even instead of doing some of those things people actually realize that they have to be inspiring themselves and they have to get in touch with their own inspiration they have to do things in school holidays that truly inspire them rather than sitting around and complaining i mean it's shocking to have teachers complaining negatively and they can't be inspiring if they then come into the class the teachers need to be doing things a lot of things don't cost money to do which are incredibly uplifting so
0: I always call it the digital detox. Again, I think just people need to just disconnect. We need to disconnect to reboot,
1: as the enforcer said. Only connect, but of course, that's you know what we need to do. Look, a couple of summers ago, I walked back from Switzerland to the North Sea, creating a path for peace, and you know, spending four or five weeks, you know, walking, walking the Camino, walking the length of the country or whatever it is, you know, get outside your comfort zone, twist yourself, uh, start studying for another degree through the open university, join Action for Happiness, join a, a mosque, join a church, you know, do things that, that are going to inspire you because it's only if we are inspired that we will be able to get ahead of these computers.
0: Thanks ever so much. You have your feet in the camps of politics, education, technology. If anyone can help change education for the better, I certainly would back you, Anthony. I want you to look into your crystal ball. This is the last piece. What would the future of education look like for you in 2050? This is not what you hope it will look like. What do you think it will look like in 2050?
1: Okay, but that's a deterministic question. If you see what I mean, of course you do, Simon, because it's denying agency. And what I'm saying is in the connection between the well-being and the AI arguments are that it is about us having autonomy and being moral agents ourselves, rather than thinking that things are determined to happen in a certain way. Therefore, if that's the thesis, the answer then is that, I don't know, but what I can say is that if teachers, not ed tech companies, not to repeat the point, not legislators, not government, but working with all of those. If we ourselves recognize that this is a tool that we can't reverse as much as we'd like to, but we are going to make damn certain that it's in the interests of all young people and all adults and everyone in schools and outside schools and in our communities can benefit from this as the best ever Resource to enrich and to bring enrichment in a way that has never been before. You know, the craving, the deep hunger that we all have for learning and understanding ourselves and our planet and the universe. We can shape this technology. Therefore, the answer to the question is the answer in 2050, which is only 27 years away, is that it all depends, basically, Simon, whether people are listening to your podcast.
0: You can connect with me on Twitter. Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.